Tomas Q. Maureen's Let Me Count the Ways is a memoir that will sit with readers long after they close the book. Maureen dives deep down into his childhood to bring to the surface key moments of retrospection into the life he lived as he watched his family wrestle with his father's drug addiction and the beginnings of Maureen's obsessive compulsive disorder. We talk with Maureen about stepping into a space of vulnerability and sharing family memories with the public, a glimpse into fatherhood, and he gets real about his feelings about Batman wrestling and the best time to have Frito Pie. Stay with us on the next episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Denny. And my name is Veronica. And today we are joined with our August uh, book of the month for nonfiction writer Tomas Q. Marin. Um, Tomas is the author of the collection of poems Machete and the memoir Let Me Count the Ways, as well as the poetry collections Patient Zero and A Larger Country. He is co-editor of the anthology Coming Close, 40 Essays on Philip Levine, and a translator, the translator for The Heights of Machu Picchu by Pablo Neruda. He is the recipient of fellowships from the Civitella Ranieri Foundation, the National Endowment of, for the Arts, and the Guggenheim Foundation. He teaches at Rice University and Vermont College of Fine Arts. Welcome to the show, Tomas. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great, really great. Um, so happy to be here uh, talking with you, with you both. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Uh, this is truly a, a pleasure to talk to you about your memoir. Let me let me count the ways. Um, but before we dig deep and ask all of our questions about the book, we like to do something special. I'm gonna pass it off to Denny. We ask like you know very very light questions so our listeners would get to know you beyond the pages. Um, sure, sure. Um, you know, uh, so my husband also has this old snobby cat. Shout out to Cat. We call her Cat. Um, <laughs> we we also have a pandemic baby. So he used to talk to like the children in the boxes of the diapers. Mm. Um, that's his only friends. Hence, I feel attached to your New York Times article. So I'm just curious, what other cardboard characters have you made for your toddler? Well, you know, uh, lately it's been, uh, instead of like drawing on cardboard and cutting those out, it's just been, um, uh, we're into markers now and crayons. Uh, uh, my son was watching uh, Blippy today. Um, he's huge into Blippy now. And uh, uh, yeah, so I drew him a stegosaurus. It was a dinosaur episode. He loves dinosaurs. So we drew a stegosaurus and he was coloring, coloring each of the plates a different color and um yeah and, and and to to what you were saying he said um i said what are you doing and he said i'm watching my friend blippy yes so yeah 
my son's friend is bluey which is which she called gluey <laughs> and then all the sesame street people yeah Welcome to the madness <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes we're, we're doing scissors now he loves scissors yeah yeah we're working on scissors yeah where's my scissors mommy <laughs> <laughs> that's the question always and why um when is the best time to have a frito pie I think any time is the best time to have a Frito pie. Um, yeah, uh, especially, you know, in in, um, in in the way I talk about in the book, you know, just in the bag, you just cut the side of the bag open, right? Uh, here come the scissors again, cut the side of the bag open, pour in the chili and the cheese, and uh, you don't need a bowl, you know? Nope. Like the Frito-Lay company made the bowl for you. Although the <laughs> thing is, you have to eat it hot. You have to eat it fast because if the chili is too hot, then that bag starts melting. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it starts getting it starts getting soft on you. When's the last time you had one? Oh, um, like that. It's it's probably been decades. Last time I had a Frito pie, um, maybe a few months ago. Maybe a few months ago. Now, now because uh, um, uh, I like to think I'm evolved. Uh, instead of using uh, the 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 kind of like Velveeta cheese that that I grew up on, now I, I'm now I'm grading goat gouda. Uh, onto my onto my Frito pies and uh it's I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> okay, we got a uh, an elevated Frito pie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that would be the next um article in the in the Better Homes and Gardens. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, Professor, when was the last time you ran or ran or played basketball? Oh, I think it's maybe been. Let's see. What are we now? August. Uh, time is weird. You know, it's it's been time has been so soupy in the, in the pandemic. Um, you know, I'd probably say probably April. I was uh, getting up shots, just playing by myself. You know, playing around the world. You know, that kind of thing. But it's it's been at least a year, year and a half since I played with with somebody else. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, I had I had to have uh, meniscus surgery because uh, mm -hmm. I torn the meniscus in in my knee and. So then that really, that really slowed me down. Oh, man. It's like, it's like they say it, like Charles Barkley says on um, that uh, NBA TNT show, uh, father time is undefeated. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Very true. Also on FYI, running is um, for the birds. Just, <laughs> just for the record. Um, who is the goat in basketball? Oh man. Um, you know, it's uh, like uh, I was I was seeing this thing the other day that uh, it was actually Michael Jordan was talking about how the better question is like, what's the better team? Mm. You know, um, and and I get that. You know, the game is so much different. I, uh, as a diehard Boston Celtics fan, like I always say, Bill Russell. You know, Mr. Bill Russell is the is the absolute, you know, um, uh, greatest of all time. Um, yeah, uh, someone asked me this on another on another on another podcast, and and the guy was like, "Ah, oh, come on, like you're just you're just a Celtics homer. Come on, like he was like, so who's the greatest of all time that's not a Celtic?" I was uh, like, "Okay, that'd be Michael Jordan." But um, <laughs> still, I think we got to give like Kareem some love, you know? Oh, I mean, yes. I mean, come on, you know. This sure. this is a Celtics fan. I'm right? a Celtics fan. I'm interested because my brother gives me. Slack about it all the time because we're from Orlando. Oh yeah, and I've never been an Orlando Magic fan, and he just always was curious as to how I became a uh, Celtics fan. I was wondering how did that happen for you? 
Yeah, well, you know, um, growing up watching basketball in the early 80s in Texas, um, every now and then we'd get um, uh, San Antonio Spur games on TV, but mostly it was the Bulls, the Pistons, the Lakers, and the Celtics. You know, they were just, it was just, it was the kind of thing where the networks were giving you, you know, such a small, you know, uh, sampling. And, and for me, I always felt like, like I was an outsider. And whenever I would watch Larry Bird play and I would hear all the, all the chatter about how, oh, you know, he's so slow, he can't jump. And uh, to watch him play with such a chip on his shoulder mm. and uh, just destroy people. Um, like, oh, like you're going to underestimate, underestimate me. Um, I really related to that, you know? And I was like, I, I want to, like, I want to have that kind of a chip on my shoulder. Like I want to earn that, you know, <laughs> earn that chip. Cause it's one thing to have it and then not be able to back it up. Yeah. But, um, to just, you know, uh, take people underestimating you and, you know, um, you know, make them regret it, you know, show them something different. Okay. um yeah mm -hmm. so so for me like I, I I gravitated gravitated towards that can you demonstrate your favorite move of your favorite wrestler <laughs> favorite move of my favorite wrestler um well I, I would need someone else to do that it would it would hands down be the figure four le leg lock by Ric Flair um uh I used to do that on my on, on my little brother uh well it's it's like uh you know they're lying down on their back legs up uh, you wrap one of their legs around yours, then you hook uh, your leg around the other one, then you like fall back and, yes. and immediate, immediate pain. I used to do it on my, on my little brother all the time. <laughs> he's six years younger. Uh, I'm 5'10". Now he's, I think, 6'3". So like that ain't happening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening anymore. Um, but, um, but yeah, it would hands down be the, the, the figure four leg lock. <laughs> See, the more you know, we were like, maybe he has like little people there that he can demonstrate, you know. <laughs> Have you introduced wrestling to your to your son yet or no? No, no, um, no, not yet. I feel like um I feel like he and I are similar in the sense of, you know, it's monkey see, monkey do, but I, I feel like a lot of kids are that way, you know, and it's not just unique to him, but um yeah, like whatever he sees, it's like, all right, I'm gonna do that. Uh, so, so I, we try to be very careful <laughs> about what, <laughs> what, you know, what we're introducing, uh, cause, uh, yeah, like 10 minutes later, he's, he's going to be trying it. Uh, and, and I think like a lot of toddlers, uh, uh he has no fear, nope. just absolutely fearless. And like all the fear is with like me and his mama, you know, it's like, oh no, like what, what is he doing now? And yeah, <laughs> it's okay. He'll, he'll find out about it eventually. And you don't have to introduce nothing because he'll be like, yeah. ah! Yeah. yeah. The goal is for them not to die. Right. <laughs> so for those people that have not um, read your book, can you just introduce them to your book, give a little kind of like synopsis, and we'll go deep down to what is what is your book? Let me count them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, let me count the ways. It's... It revolves around a couple of things. Um, on the one hand, uh, it's about fathers and sons, um, about my relationship to my father, my grandfather, and then a man named Jackie, uh, who my son is named after, uh, who is a surrogate father to me. Um, 
and uh, two of them, my two dads, they were, um, they both struggled with addiction, struggled with addiction. And um, I think, uh, you know, undiagnosed depression, probably uh, when I look back, you know, and I'm like, oh, that seems, you know, pretty obvious. And um, yeah, so the ways in which, um, like I was a son to them and they were fathers to me. Um, and then, then the other thing um, that the book revolves around is uh, mental health uh, and the ways in which um, like obsessive compulsive disorder uh, from the time that I was really, really young, um, uh, not as young as my son, but uh, probably four or five, uh, the ways in which obsessive compulsive disorder helped me um, cope you know, help me cope with uh, a world that I couldn't control mm-hmm. with parents whose, you know, choices and actions I couldn't control or influence. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So the, so the book circles, circles, those two circles, those two things a lot. Um, um, I feel it was really important to try to uh, represent how obsessive compulsive disorder, mental illness, and depression and anxiety um, present for me. Because um, it's, I feel like it's like if I were uh, a Latino high school kid looking for examples of what people who look like me from my background, um, you know, in, in terms of like representation, like it's just, you know, we, we don't talk about it, mm. you know, we don't talk about it, much less write about it mm-hmm. um, and try to have like a public conversation about it. And yeah, so uh, the title, yeah, Let Me Count the Ways. Yeah, it, it alludes to that, but also generosity, you know, and gratitude because I mean, circle to back to what you were saying earlier, like I made it, like, mm-hmm. like, I, like I survived, right? I survived and, and made it, um, even though it was, you know, it was, it was a rocky road when when we first when i first found your book it was like almost like because when we would dig deep and like look for books that we would do on this show i was i think it was that point i was like oh we we have to do more like latinx representation in our book and veronica was like yes and we also need like you know more male authors (laughs) that we need to talk to like you know, as a as a female reader, you gravitate towards like what you can relate, right? Yeah. So we gravitate towards like what what's comfortable for us. And but when I when I I read the synopsis of your book and I'm like, we gotta we gotta talk to this person. Cause I think what struck the most to me, like even in the synopsis, was that the mention of your father and then the mental health issue parts. Yeah. And like, these are some, some of the stuff that, you know, people of color are so afraid to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, you know, taboo, like machismo and all other, all other things that, you know, we can, we can name it, like, and we can write a book yeah. about it again, you know, that can be a whole other podcast. Um, So I was like, yeah, we, we need to dabble into this. And I think there, you know, like you said, if there's like a, a teenager somewhere, whether Latinx or not. Yeah, can can learn something can learn something from this book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and you know and I I really appreciate when people talk about trauma and how they survived it 
because you you never know who's listening and you never know who's yeah. reading. So yeah, I um uh just maybe maybe last month I, I received a, a message out of the blue from someone I didn't know um who said that they'd found uh one of my poems in the the audio of one of my poems on the Poetry Foundation website. And um it was like a year or so ago she said that she found it and she was going through a really difficult time and um yeah, and she just mentioned how uh, she listened to that poem every day and how that poem was um, one of the reasons why she was still here. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, you know, like I tell my students all the time that, you know, we we make art and we send it out into the world. And just like kids, it's um, our children, the art's going to, these pieces are going to go meet people. Uh, build relationships with other people, have conversations with them that we won't have anything to do with. Um, and uh, I was just so, so like, so floored, you know, that the note of hopefulness that she found in that poem, which was about a difficult um, like relationship that, um, you know, it helped her, yeah. you know, and you can never expect that, you know, like you can't sit down to write something and, and hope that it's going to do something like that. But when it happens, you're just like, man, like that means more than like all the awards and all the prizes and, you know, all of that other stuff. Um, yeah. So going back to like talking about like our traumas and how we coped and dealt with it. For me, that is a very daunting process. Like nobody really wants to do that. Yeah. Um, especially like, you know, being like exposed to this like just the world the world being able to see all of this and sometimes we have certain traumas that we don't even know that we have Mm. and it takes like us through a lifetime or like through adulthood to discover what these traumas are so if you don't mind can you talk to us about you know how you were able to write and allow yourself to open up again you know to those doors in your life so you're able to write it yeah, I, you know, I think one thing that helped was all of my like formal training as a writer was as a poet. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I sat down to work on a memoir and try to do this um, first draft, um, you know, there's a lot of newness to it. And I felt like I was I was trying to read all the classics and uh, the handbooks and try to figure it out. And I, th- I think that made it an adventure, you know, like uh, in terms of uh, the writing of it, the formal part of it. And it feeling like an adventure is what pulled me in, like pulled me, pulled me to the desk every day. But um, I mean, there were some days that were so hard. There's that, um, uh, oh, it's, it's this gift from um, Talladega Nights of uh, Will Ferrell sitting in the hospital bed, like drinking a glass of wine and he's like shaking. Right. I know, I know, you know, it. it's, it's ubiquitous. It, and it's like there were some days where like I was sitting at the typewriter and I was I was just like like the tears were just coming down, you know, and and as I was writing through a scene uh, about a wound that I thought was, you know, healed and long gone, mm-hmm. you know, but like sitting down to write the book felt like, um, yeah, it was like finding those wounds and like, uh, you know, sticking your finger in, you know, sticking your finger in and. And see, like, how how deep was that? It's like, oh, yeah, that's a lot deeper <laughs> than than what I had allowed myself to remember, you know. And, and then there were other days where I was capturing uh, conversations 
uh, between me and Jackie. Um, and like those days were filled with so much joy to, uh, to recreate his voice on the page. Um, cause ever since, um, the last day I had seen him and spoken to him in person, I always heard his voice like in my head and I could like, I could have a conversation with him and I, I, I like, I could be trying to solve a problem. And I'd be, and in my mind, I would think, um, what do you think, Chad? And then I would hear his voice, you know, you know, speaking to me and uh, being able to, you know, capture his voice on the page. It felt like, uh, like he was in the room with me in a different way, mm. you know, in a more physical way. And um, yes, but it was, yeah, it was quite, quite the ride, you know, working on this book and, um, uh, and just the biggest hill was the first draft. I feel like, you know, just, just, getting getting everything out and writing it for me you know after that the shaping and uh, all of that other stuff um was was different uh it wasn't as 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 hard you know or as like emotionally emotionally challenging can i ask you something our the very first time we had a non-fiction writer on our show uh was brian broom and he mm -hmm. wrote punch me up to the guys and it dealt with his personal um journey through drug addiction and, and coming yeah. and things like that and, and being a gay black man um <clears throat> and one of the things that I wanted to know was in regards to like you're putting your business out in the, on front street right you're letting yeah. everybody know like just a, a peak because you did not tell us everything but you right. told us some major parts right what was the conversation that you had if any with your family members and your friends that you mentioned within this book mm -hmm. or those that you might not mention and just be like, this is what I'm writing about. And I right. just let you know, did you have that conversation or did you just like, I'm writing it and it's out there? Yeah, no, I did. Um, uh, once I, I got farther along, um, I was a few drafts in and a few rewrites in. Um, uh, I had, I sent a copy to my mom and she read it and then I had her pass it to my little brother so he could read it and um yeah to get notes on go no, get notes from them to find out what they were comfortable with and what they weren't um because um yeah i mean I, I tell my students all the time that um you know when we write nonfiction and we put uh living breathing people in there if um someone is hurt by what we've written they don't have the same access uh, to publishing, mm. to, to that kind of a platform in order to respond, you know, they just, um, they just kind of have to take it, you know, and, uh, there's a huge power imbalance there. So, you know, we have to, uh, as much as we take care of ourselves, we also have to take care of, of the people, you know, who we're turning into characters, right? Cause I mean, the me in the book is, um, you know, is, uh, is, is a version of me, right. You know, uh, in particular, the child me. Um, and, uh, just, just the other day, uh, we just got through moving and I, I found the, the first draft and it was uh, 2014. I was like, man, like it's been that long, you know, I had printed it out and, and clipped it and I had notes in it. And I was like, man, it, it didn't feel like it'd been that long. It felt like, uh, it was a lot, a lot closer in time. Um, but yeah, and, and my mom gave me some notes and there were some, there's a few things that I changed. Um, um, but yeah, I tried, uh, yeah, I tried to be careful and 
you know, try to be uh, kind, but also true. You know, I changed the names of, of some people. Um, and, but yeah, it was, that was, uh, that was a tricky thing. Cause I mean, they don't talk about that in poetry school, you know? <laughs> um, so, but yeah, no, I did. Yeah. I, I did. I did consult folks cause I didn't want, I didn't want anyone to, to, to feel hurt. And um, the biggest, I think thing that I probably changed was from the early draft to the final version that's in the book is um, the, and this was like one of the last things that I changed was the uh, the crime that I commit mm-hmm. um, and uh, taking out the details because it had been in there uh, for many, many drafts and, and very painful, very excruciating detail. And in the end, I thought, you know what? Um, uh, the uh, people who were the victims of that crime that I was a part of, um, which is decades ago now, um, they've moved on with their lives, I hope. You know, that, you know, that family has moved on with their lives. And uh, what right do I have to put their business right out on, on Front Street, as you said, um, and for members of their family who don't know anything about it, mm. you know, for whom maybe maybe it's just become like something that's not talked about. Uh, and then suddenly it's like, whoa, like, what is this? You know, like this happened to our family. And um, and why does anyone? And I was I was like, I have no right. I have no right to do that. But then I also thought on the other end, uh, once I went, I started looking at uh, the statistics and the research um, uh, that crime that I was a part of was part of a huge nationwide spike Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, violent crimes by teenagers. Um, And I thought this is, this is more important. You know, this is more important uh, to, frame that as like not give not give you know the reader who wants all the you know the 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 juicy details right they want the salacious details uh instead you know make this swerve to you know what this was what happened was actually part of a bigger picture um and you know in some ways people still don't really understand it but the ways in which um young teens of color started being looked at after that, you know, um, you know, the whole uh, awful talk about, you know, uh, super predators, you yeah. know, wolf packs, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, yeah, so uh, that was, that that was a huge thing that I changed and, and I, I felt, I felt good about it. I felt like, like this is, this is, uh, protects them, but then also it makes the book better. It makes the book better too. Speaking of like, you know, you picking on the wounds and like protecting yourself, how are you able to, I guess, you know, protect yourself mentally, physically, emotionally while you were writing this book? Uh, Routine helped a lot. Um, I was, uh, I started it. uh, So in the summer of 2014 and um, I would get up in the morning, have breakfast. Uh, I would write until around noon or so. Um, uh, I don't teach in the summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, so I had the summer free. Um, I'd write until around noon or so, have lunch, take a nap, get up and go exercise. Uh, usually, usually go play basketball uh, and just kind of get all, everything that was sort of like built up in my body, you know, from that morning's uh, writing session, get it all out. 
uh, on the court and, you know, spend the evening with friends, you know, with friends and people I cared about um, and then repeat, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, and that, that, that helped, you know, that helped a lot because it felt like I was creating, I was creating a space and a, and a routine. Um, and I'm gonna sound like a real, uh, OCD you're here talking right the space and the routine that felt comfortable and safe and protective um uh so in a way like what I was writing about um and my particular like mental illness like it 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 helped me you know it helped me write you know you know write the book um I don't think I could write the book like if I hadn't written it then I tried to write it now I don't think I could mm. um now that I'm a father you know now that I'm a father and um and also i mean since 20 you know 2014 um eight years uh, so much has changed you know the world is such a different such a different place and it was i feel like i had this window of time to to get that first draft down and um yeah oh, wow. yeah when you become a parent I, I hear that it i guess there's like another like a crack opens in yeah. a place of tenderness that you didn't know that you would feel vulnerable in yeah and yeah I can understand I can understand that um so let me count the ways is a peek into your life and with these tender moments are woven between the uses of Elizabeth Barrett Browning's sonnet how do I love thee um do you remember the first time you heard her and read her poem and how it resonated with you throughout your life especially when when teaching yeah, um, it was junior year of high school. Um, and I, I remember it because uh, we had a teacher, uh, I forget her name, but uh, she made us all memorize uh, Desiderata, that uh, that really, the really long, long thing. I don't even know if it, I'm like, it was it, is that a poem? I don't know if that was a poem. It was, yeah. it felt like work. I know that much. Yeah. Um, it was a chore. I'm, yeah. I'm with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like we, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that poem was was uh, introduced to us in in that unit, and uh, I, I was just uh, I was just so smitten with with this idea of like oh like you can love people different ways, mm -hmm. you know I I thought I, you know I thought it was just one way, and this idea of uh, which I know in other cultures that, that have many more words for love, you know than that we do, I was like oh this is uh this is hype I, I i really dug it you know i really dug it it felt like it was one of those such a small thing but it felt like it expanded it expanded my universe in terms of um you know how you can care you know care for people and also that you could just like come straight out and say it mm. you know uh it felt uh even you know uh, centuries later felt bold mm. it felt really bold how did you decide to use that poem for for your book and, and the titles of certain chapters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like I wanted to I wanted to create a, a frame in the book that um would keep the book from just feeling uh just feeling grim, you know, just feeling grim. Uh, it's interesting. Um I think like if I sat down and I took the manuscript of this book and I rearranged it in different ways. Uh, I think like it would be, I mean, I think there's sadness in the book, but I could make it a really sad book mm -hmm. uh, without even changing words, you know, just just moving things around. Um, 
but the poem, I wanted it to kind of uh, function in the lines of the poem as a, a sort of thread, you know, this thread of hopefulness, this thread of gratitude, this thread of, of love uh, throughout the book. So that is, you know, uh, uh, people were going from chapter to chapter, um, the, uh, and they would encounter a new, a new piece of the poem, a new line from the poem. It would almost be like, uh, like those little, um, uh, wet naps that they give you on, on, on the airplanes, you know, for after, you know, they're in those little, little rinky dinky paper, paper packets, <laughs> you know, uh, for after you finish eating, it's like, oh, here, you know, here's a little wet nap before you have your, you know, your old dry cookie. Um, yeah. yeah um, yeah, so I, I wanted that. That was my hope. That was my hope, right? Uh, like whether it works for you know for every reader or for other readers, uh, I don't know. But that's um, yeah, that's what I was going for. I think it worked for me, mm. and you know, like that. That's why to me, this is really like a special um, thing that happens to to us when we talk to the people that wrote the book whether it's fictional or it's 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 nonfiction, because like you know I get what you're saying when you're like if you flip these up without even changing the words it can be really 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 sad yeah um but when I was reading your book I was like there's more to it like I think I encountered love and gratitude like at the forefront of the book and I'm like, he's showing us something different rather than just being sad. And yeah. like, you know, like the point is not just to be like, not like not to pity, like what's happening in the story. Right. Like, you know, there's like a deeper understanding and why he's doing this. And I really think that's what pulled me into the book. Like, you know, I was following that string and I was like, where would this lead us? And then at the end of it. I had to like check with Ronick and I'm like, yeah, that, that is hope. You know, it's something, something happened at the end mm. when, you know, remember when I asked you, I'm like, what, what is this the coyote story? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, you know, I, you know, I was like, sometimes you got to talk to somebody, right. Right. To, yeah. To, to digest all the stuff that you're reading. And I like, I had, I had the moment. I'm like, huh? Ah, I, there's a release. And I'm like, I, I get it. Um, your dedication was your was for your mother and your grandmother you know as as we know or as the people would discover that most of the stories in the book ha have been of your father yeah how instrumental was your mother and your grandmother to your overall like I guess success in releasing these experiences into you know into writing yeah um yeah they were they were huge um yeah my um uh, my mom is like, um, like she's been a rock like for me since, since the beginning and, uh, always, uh, super supportive and, um, you know, whatever, whatever I wanted to try, whatever I thought I wanted to be, she was like, all right, like, like go do it, mm -hmm. you know, like, like you can do it. Um, and, um, yeah. And I feel like I can talk to her about anything. And it was the same way with my, with my grandmother, um yeah they were yeah they, they were just I feel like they were such great models of uh for being you know I mean my grandmother was born in 1911 uh she passed away quite a while ago but uh when I was a teenager but um for for someone who grew up in that era uh Latinx 
um, to like um, uh, just accomplish everything she did in her life. She was a political activist um, uh, during the 60s and um, raising a family and also being a curandera. Um, and yeah, just, um, yeah, her and my, her and my grandfather, they, they, they really pulled themselves up, you know, from, from, from nothing. My grandfather couldn't read or write. Uh, he could only speak Spanish and, um, yeah. And they, they, and I, I could see how the work they were doing, uh, and how they were leading their lives. Uh, it was such a great model of, you know, they were, uh, trying to build, more opportunities for their kids, you know, and resources, you know, for their kids and, um, and hoping that that would trickle forward, right. you know, for when their kids had kids and, um, yeah, they were just like absolute, yeah, absolute rocks. And, and, and my grandmother, like she, you know, the, the ways in which she, uh, uh, as a curandera, like opened up for me that like the world is more than just like what we see you know, and what we read in a book, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's richer than that, you know, much more layered than that. And some people call it magic, right? Some people call it faith, you know, some people call it both. Um, but yeah, they were, yeah, they were huge. Like I, I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't, if it wasn't for them. Mm. Um, in your chapter called Happy Families, you write about those moments of having to decide which hospital your mother would need to take your dad um, based on his level of pain after using heroin. Um, there were two hospitals uh, with extremely different types of medical care that was given. You said that the hospital you all tried to avoid would be met with faces of nurses and doctors that look like balloons in a tree. Do you still find yourself looking for that kind of care in healthcare professionals when you need to be seen by by a doctor or a mm. nurse? Uh, you know, last fall, so fall of last year, I taught this uh, class for the first time called uh, Narrative Medicine mm. uh, at Rice, and um, as undergrads, most of, most of the students in the class were pre med, but we looked at the ways in which storytelling and uh, health outcomes and healthcare intersect, you know? Um, and uh, I think ever since I wrote uh, wrote the memoir and was really thinking about the ways in which sometimes we would have to make up stories mm -hmm. of like why we were, you know, why we were there. But then of course the doctors doing tests and everything would always find out, right? They'd always find out that, you know, it was addiction that had brought us there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so, so I, I think a lot about, um, and now it's involved in my teaching too, like that moment when a doctor says, so what brings you in today? Mm. You know, that's an invitation to tell a story about your body and your mind and, um, and then to collaborate, right, with the doctor on that story based upon, you know, their knowledge and experience. Um, but you know, uh, a lot of us, in particular, like in like BIPOC communities, like we don't, um, we don't always have the resources to know how to tell stories about our bodies, right? So we don't get care that's as good, um, and or the doctors aren't as patient or as uh, gentle with us, 
you know, and trying to pull out the threads of, you know, of, of the story of what's going on with us. Um, so whenever I do like go see, you know, go see a doctor, um, I am, I am scanning for like, I'm scanning for compassion, you know, and friendliness. Uh, so I mentioned earlier, we just moved uh, to Houston and uh, it took me a long time when we lived in central Texas to find an endocrinologist because uh, I have Hashimoto's um, thyroid condition. And I finally found one and I would see him uh, once a year for a checkup blood work. And I was like, man, I could just drive back. You know, like I could drive back. It was once a year. I could drive back one day uh, uh, Central Texas and then drive back the next. And because it's just so hard and I'm such a creature of habit too. But I was like, that's just, that's just, that's just stupid. Like, you know, Houston has more hospitals <laughs> than, you know, than, you know, 10 cities put together. I should just find someone here. So I uh, found an endocrinology center and um, uh, I walked in and um, I was asked whether I wanted to uh, speak in English or in Spanish. And uh, I was like, okay, like this, this has never happened before. Um, received great care, like wonderful care. And at the end of it, when, when I got back and I was talking to my partner, I was like, you know what? I just realized that I didn't see a single person, uh, like uh, no one on the medical staff at that office was um, uh, anything but Latinx. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. I also didn't see any men. Mm -hmm. Like all those doctors and the nurses and uh, the staff, like they were all uh, Latinas. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is, this is like some sort of like dream, <laughs> you know, like, 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 That's wow. Perfect. You know, I was going to ask you, what's their name? I just want to go, <laughs> I'll take that trip there and find a good doctor. <laughs> but yeah, I, I understand that because, um, you know, in my real job, I, I am a nurse. Yeah. So I, I know, I know that look, I see it. Maybe I've done it before, especially like ER nurses yeah. and doctors. They're tired. They're also just they just don't want to deal with, as they call it, BS. Right. You know. But I'm also a patient, though. You know, yeah. there's there's a fa there's a person in my family that also has Hashimoto's, and it's a very complex disease. Yeah. It's like pe people take for granted their thyroid. It's right. Your thyroid controls your whole body almost. Right. Like, so you know check your thyroid levels i always tell people but like i'm also a patient and i feel you like when i step into a room like i feel like i'm immediately judged when i open my mouth i'm immediately judged yeah. how they look at me so i'm happy for you like sincerely happy for you that you found a place where you can feel safe because mm. even for me as a medical professional it's hard for me to find that and yeah. i know like in my gut you right. know when they talk to you, you're like, ah, I gotta go home. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go home. Right. I'm not gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be back. Yeah. 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 You're like, I, I'm not gonna contribute to the, you know, the next round of statistics about, you know, poor health, poor health outcomes. You know. Like I'm for, gonna pay know. my copay and go home. Right. And, and we're on to the next. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, yeah. It's it's truth. It's sad, but it's it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of like, you know, now going to the medical field, how does it make you feel when people use like OCD, like very lightly, 
you know they often mm. mistaken it for being like organized or just wanting things to be a certain way not thinking that it might really mean different for people that actually have the disorder because i was i was kind of like low-key like offended almost when like would people bring those things up like very lightly yeah, yeah um i think it depends on on what day you catch me you know like <laughs> like on some days i'm like come on you know it's like like we both know you know just just because you know just because you're picky you know that doesn't mean you you have you you have like you know this mental disorder you know um uh and and i get upset and um but then there's other times where i think well you know like i i think like when people you know latch on to you know certain things like oh you know i feel ocd it's um like i feel sad because it's it's like um it's lack of education uh you know lack of resources to be able to going back to this idea of uh telling stories about ourselves yeah. you know it's um there's there's a lack of lack of resources um uh so they're taking a shortcut right they're taking a shortcut and using this term or misusing this term uh in order to try to uh say something you know about themselves and uh, i appreciate the attempt to try to say something about themselves um uh it's the um it's the lack of accuracy, right? The lack of accuracy or the shortcut that I'm like, you know, maybe rethink that one, you know? Um, I mean, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it just really, it just really, it just really depends on, on when, when I hear it and, you know, you know, what company I'm in, uh, if it's a friend, like I'll absolutely like rib them, you know, rib them to death about it, you know? Um, uh, but, it, you know, it'll be all, all good. But then with other people, you know, uh, it's just like, I really got into a place where I feel I got to pick my battles. Mm. Um, do, do I really need this headache today? Mm. You know, from locking horns with this, you know, this rando, um, like, do I need that in my life today? Probably not. You know, I'll, I'll leave that for somebody else, you know, to, to fight that one. Thank you for that reminder. I needed to hear that today. <laughs> pick your battles <laughs> that rando is not worth it denny it's not worth it and i like that lock your horns that's a very texas <laughs> uh as an old student of silence uh what have you learned about people in your quietness mm. um one thing uh one main thing that i've learned is that uh people are often more uncomfortable with silence than i am mm -hmm. so if i'm just quiet they will fill the space <laughs> they will fill the space and uh oftentimes with things that they've never told anyone and, and i know this because one it's awkward um and i don't know them and two they tell me like i have no idea why i just told you this i've never told anyone this before and um, I partly blame my grandmother. Uh, uh, a card reader, uh, people would come to her and, um, you know, spill all their problems. Um, and I, I think I give off the, the good listener vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, and people feel, uh, they feel safe. And uh, even if they don't know me, like I've, I've had strangers in uh, airports and uh, other places just tell me, um, stuff that I would rather not know. Uh, 
but uh, what what I like uh, recognized in those moments was uh, they they were carrying something that they were trying really hard to set down, mm. you know, um, and and you know I thought like, well, what does it cost me, right? Like whatever they're setting down, I don't have to pick it up, you know, I don't have to pick it up and take it home with me, you know, I can just nod my head, mm, mm-hmm. You know, and you know, just just do that, and they just they just keep rolling, right? It just keeps coming out. Um, but yeah, it's um, like I like silence. Uh, I, I tried this thing uh, earlier this year called uh, what's it called? The uh, uh, the company is uh, tr- I think it's called True Float Spa. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, you ever heard of this? So you you go uh, you you book for an hour and you go to this 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 place and they have these uh, deprivation chambers, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's uh, six eight inches of water with a thousand pounds of uh, sea salt in there, and and you get in the pod, you close the lid, you can turn on music if you want. I didn't. I chose no music, and uh, the lights are off. And you just you just float you float in this pod which is um uh you you can't like I'm, so so i'm five ten you can't do like a full full circle in there uh so it's not super big but it's it's just it's just big enough where you don't feel the sides you don't feel the bottom and it's just i was like oh this is heaven <laughs> this is this is absolute uh heaven as someone who often get overstimulated by uh, uh, really loud sounds. Um, and uh, yeah, like being being uh, there, like it's so much better than saying, you know, being at home and saying, you know what, I need five minutes, I'm gonna go sit in the closet, <laughs> you know, with the light off to just, just kind of clear, like, you know, clear the mind. Um, yeah, and and those 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 salts, you know, those salts, like what it does for you know for your body is just uh, in your joints, you know, your joints and everything. Everything just gets you know loosey goosey. It's oh, um, you're the second person that have told me about this. There's one here in Orlando. We'll talk about it later. Oh. <laughs> yes, but how he described it to me is exactly how you described it. Like yeah. you know, it's a little pod. Like yeah. when you do this. He did that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you fall asleep in it? Or... No, uh, I didn't fall asleep. It was um, quiet. It was weird. Yeah, it was. It was somewhere, somewhere between sleep and waking. Mm. You know, where it was. It was the kind of thing where, uh, at, at first, you're aware that you're in the pod and that you're floating, and then you're not really aware of it anymore. You enter this space where. Um, yeah, you're just your mind's your mind is just kind of floating, you know, floating too. And it's 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 beautiful. Like it's a really like beautiful experience. I want to go to there. I want to go <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> you you are not the first poet that we've had on on our show, um, that we've had the privilege of speaking with, but you are the first to have written a memoir and your love for this written art form um is prevalent throughout your book. Um, what was it for you to move into this direction of storytelling of long form when you spend so much of your time probably wrapped in sonnets and couplets all day? Yeah. Uh, it was challenging. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges was just trying to figure out, like, how do you paragraph? Like, 
like I know how to like I've written paragraphs before, but how do you paragraph artfully? That was the thing. I was like, so I try to find uh, uh, like chapters and writing handbooks on like on paragraphing. I, I could never find anything. I was looking at old stuff, newer stuff. I asked friends and everyone was just kind of like, we just kind of knew how to do it, you know? And I'm like, that doesn't help me. Like, what kind of teacher are you? <laughs> um, but like, I wanted to know like all the, like uh, the little micro stuff, like, like the one sentence paragraph, you know, you're reading a novel or you're reading a memoir and there's like a full paragraph and then just one sentence by itself. And then another full paragraph. It's like, what are you doing? Like, how do you know when to do that? And uh, no one could, no one could like, really give me uh, any any clear answers um but um uh, one friend told me uh, she's a prose writer and she was like well you know maybe think of paragraphs like uh stanzas mm -hmm. and and that helped that 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 did help uh especially in terms of jumping uh through time you know like a paragraph break you know that ends on a monday uh that next paragraph can pick up on friday you know, and in that first sentence, gloss over whatever happened in those, you know, three days in between. And then, you know, like just pull the reader into the weekend. Um, yeah, so that was that was the big thing where I was just kind of it was a lot of trial and error, you know, learning that, you know, learning that on the fly and then also resisting the impulse to just like um, just kind of like take off lyrically, you know, and just kind of like riff, you know, riff on on things and 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 lose the thread of the story mm -hmm. uh, that was that was a big thing because I mean if you do that in a poem well okay that's your poem right your poem is you know is is you know is the the riff you know the the improvisation um yeah so trying to trying to use the skills that I already already had instead of just feeling like I needed to you know invent you know invent all all new ones um yeah I think the best writers that I really, really liked are usually poets. Mm. Um, we've had, a, you know, a lot of writers that come here that start as poets because I think I really like lyrical writing and I like yeah. pictures in my brain. I like to walk on the streets. I like to mm -hmm. feel the temperature, like every little bit that you describe, you know, in that scene, I want to be there. And I think I first um had that realization when I was reading um Kali Fajardo Einstein Sabrina and Karina mm -hmm. so and I'm like oh this is this is what like you know almost like lyrical writing means yeah. and then you know like I, I really gravitate towards that and I really find that uh people of color write beautiful beautiful paragraphs like that and most of them are poets and now in my brain you're part of them I think you achieved that restraint of like, you know, I'm there. Like I can hear, like, I can hear Jackie in my head. I yeah. was there with you. Like, you know, or, or I'm almost you in that situation. Yeah. So to me, that was like, that was magical. I think that's what I really liked being in your book. It's like, you know, I'm walking the street. I see what you're yeah. doing. I'm in the car. So when you read it, like as a reader, like to me, that's that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's that um, makes me so happy you know, to hear that you were able to enter, you know, enter those scenes and feel like you were you were there. Enter the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't want this to sound to be like a save the world question, but, you know, you've mentioned you're 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 a teacher. Mm -hmm. 
what what is it about teaching that fulfills you the most um i think it's uh, just the very sort of very simple um well when i have to start my mom is a or my mom was a teacher she was uh, she taught pre-k for like 24 25 years before she retired now she works as a sub um and uh, her sister, my aunt, is a was a teacher also. She she's retired now, but uh, there's something about having someone ask you how to do something, and then you show them how to do it, and then you step back, and then that that magical moment where they get it and they're able to do it for themselves, um, like that gives me so much joy. Uh, and I feel like it's such a, not now as, as a parent, it's, it's such a, such a primal, such a primal thing, you know, like, how do you hold a spoon? Mm. You know, like, um, how do you take your shirt off by yourself? You know, um, and like for me, um, when I was a kid, uh, I always had so many, so many questions, so many questions. And I wanted, I wanted to know how to do things, um, and how to do them right. And um, uh, my grandparents and my mom um, and, and, and then Jackie, uh, like there was so much, so much patience. Um, yeah, it just, uh, so for me, like that all translates into, into, into being a teacher, you know, is um, just that, that very small transaction, you know, someone doesn't know how to do something. Here are the steps. And then they do it. And it's like, huh, you know, like that tiny joy. It, it feels like uh, it feels like um, like you asked me, so what is it you like about fireworks and what's your favorite firework? And my answer was the sparklers, you know, uh, but uh, I like the sparklers, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's just as simple as simple as that. Um, you work. Hold on. <laughs> COVID cough. Um, <laughs> you work at uh, Rice University, um, and we know that KSA Layman started working there at the at the start of the year. What have you all crossed paths? What has that been like for you? Uh, do you all have a, a relationship outside of Rice? How, you know, I just I'm curious as to how that how that is, what that is. Yeah, um, you know, it's it, it's funny. Um, um uh, i don't and he might have to correct me on this but i don't think we've met in person yet oh, although it's been online yeah uh yeah like i like i've seen him in the the zoom boxes and like we text and we email you know and all of that and uh we were supposed to i was supposed to take him um to get some barbecue this week uh mm -hmm. and uh but then i came down with this cold i have a cold and my, my little one has a cold too uh so i'm trying to get over that but um yeah no um uh he's um yeah he's he's just he's just um uh, like a bright bright light you know he's such such a bright light and we're so lucky you know so lucky to have him um yeah so but i i'm i'm, I'm still looking forward to like you know seeing him in person and you know chop it up in person and uh um you know break bread break bread as they say uh, I, I I was on campus last week and uh, he was, but we missed each other. And um, 
uh, I walked by uh, out of my office. I was walking down the hall and two offices down from mine. I saw there was an empty office and uh, I asked the um, uh, senior admin. I was like, like, who's going to be in that office? She's like, oh, you know, Kiese's, you know, going to be in that office. I was like, yes. You know, <laughs> like uh, and just down from him next to him is Amber Dermont, a fiction writer who uh, teaches with us. And then the other side of her is Lacey Johnson, uh, uh, a nonfiction writer, you know, a fabulous uh, who teaches for us. And it's like, it's like, what a row, you know, like this is, this is the squad row, you know? Um, so, yeah. So I'm looking forward to, um, yeah, seeing him around, you know, seeing him around in, in person. How long have you been at Rice? So this would have, so this is my third year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm actually on leave this year. Uh, so the the Guggenheim Fellowship I, I received uh, earlier this year is letting me take uh, a year of professional leave off from Rice. So like I'm still in my office uh, writing and uh, I, I go drop off the little one at daycare, uh, which is just two blocks from campus and then um, go to the office and, um, uh, and write until, you know, lunch have some lunch uh it sounds like a very familiar to the 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 routine i described earlier uh <laughs> you know have some lunch go work out there's no nap though go work out and uh and then pick him up pick him up uh, and uh and then we drive home well you you mentioned the guggenheim fellowship yes. so i just want to say first of all congratulations, congratulations. Oh, thank you you're you're the you have the fellowship for 2022 and you're the second writer lady hubbard was the first that we spoke to early at the start of the year who has yeah. also received it in the same year as you what has that experience been like where were you when you found out like give us all the deets <laughs> yeah um um yeah it was it was it's it's been it's been a wild ride um i'm trying to think of where where i was when i got the when I got the news, it's 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 odd because last year when I won the National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship, I know exactly where I was. Like I was uh, at the um, uh, at the airport, and I've passed by that spot when I got the phone call uh, about that. But for the Guggenheim, it just feels like it's uh, like I know somebody called me, uh, but it, it feels like such a like uh, such a whirlwind since then. And um, it's it's been interesting the ways in which like um some people uh see you differently mm. uh you know when when you mentioned that you've you've received one um like I had someone say like oh I didn't realize I was talking to a Guggenheim winner when I mentioned that I was going to be on leave and whatnot and and I remember thinking like, like it's all right like you know it's it, you know it's just me it's just me like it's no it's it's, it's not anything, you know, it's not anything. Uh, don't act different, please. Don't act, don't act weird, right? Don't make it weird. Uh, <laughs> that was my follow-up question because I didn't know if we were to like refer to you as like your highness, your lord. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know like, you know, if there was a special title that they give you. Do we have yeah. to see or bow? <laughs> also, do you get like a, like a lifetime membership to go to the Guggenheim like for, for the rest of your life? I do <laughs> like, not. I wish. Oh, it should add that in there. Right. right. That should be part of the package. Maybe yes. we can make maybe we can write a letter. Send this email. Right. <laughs> you get your like a special pass and then like, you know, three guest passes that you can use throughout your lifetime. 
I, I like this. Girl, I like know? this. This is this is uh this has this idea has legs. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go there by yourself. You got family or friends. Right. No man is an island, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, besides winning winning Guggenheim and you know, thinking about barbecue, what else do you do for fun? Uh I love movies. I love movies and um uh, super huge um, uh, comic book nerd, and um, so like uh, all the all the Marvel stuff. Like I've I'm deep in the Marvel stuff, and I, I just watched the first episode of She Hulk uh, oh, uh, the other day. And, uh, I I dig it. I dig it. Uh, I, I yeah, I like it. Um, I like it when Marvel leans into humor, you mm. know, and um, they don't. Uh, I feel like one of the problems with the like the the dc uh comic book movies is they're too serious they're too earnest that's the thing they're too earnest um whereas you know if, if you if you read the comics like um like those people writing writing those and making those characters um you can tell they have a sense of humor mm. you know and uh i mean you know when you're making your living and your life and your career you know drawing a comic book making stories for it like i mean that's it's kind of a crazy, you know, crazy thing, you know, to do. Um, and I feel like the folks at Marvel, um, they hire really good people who tap into that, you know, like uh, Taika Waititi, for example, with the, with the Thor movies, just absolutely hilarious. Um, so, so yeah, so I, uh, so I love, like, I, I, I love that. Um, um, uh, I love reading. I'm reading, um, uh, uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, uh, that new novel that just came out. Is that the one with like the rainbow colors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. seeing that one pop up everywhere. We're lagging behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's holding us. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, lag behind when it comes to those marvels because uh, just a, probably a couple of hours ago, I just started watching the second Spider Man okay, movie. Yeah. I'm trying to watch them in order and they yeah, were pumping yeah. them out like hotcakes. And I said, I can't do this. You know, y'all putting out a movie every week like Prince used to put out. <laughs> I know. So I'm trying to watch it in the order of release. And I finally yeah. got to the second Spider-Man nice. movie. I'm an hour in. It's really good so yeah. far. Yes. Um, Mysterio. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But um I, I I love movies. This is this is the reason why we started the podcast. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get Denny to watch TV with me. Oh yeah, it's uh, all a scam. So if we ever <laughs> cover anything, you know, you're you're more than welcome to come back and talk to us about whatever it is that you're watching. <laughs> and also, maybe Tomas have answered why I don't like Batman because it's too serious. Because it's too serious. Yeah, too earnest. Cause I'm like I wasn't never a comic book fan. My husband, mm -hmm. he loves he, he's you know he loves both. He has yeah. everything in his like little boxes that have like cobwebs in it. Um, but yeah, I think that's why I'm like this is why because it's like you gotta laugh sometimes. That's how I think. <laughs> I'm so sorry, it's not a hidden secret. Um, we've discussed this before. They've hated on me because of this, but I don't understand it. Yes. I think you would like the George Clooney version 
bad neither here or there but anywho <laughs> yeah um, they're, they're so yeah so earnest so brooding and, and it's it's like it's oh come on I, I never really got into to batman i'm like what is your your superpower is that you're you're a millionaire everybody gets me Money. It's like See, give I, me give me a lot of money. I'll be a superhero too. You know, I can spend some money. Tony Stark had a lot of money. That's true. That's true. But but he also uh like he also made that suit. You know, he made that yeah, suit. Yeah, but he had heart surgery. So Yeah. But he's also <laughs> but he's he's funny. But, Maybe that's what it is. He like in the in the comics, he's not funny. But like Robert Downey Jr., like like totally, totally yeah. like, you know, rebooted that character with with, with his humor. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to have Tomas back talk about comedy. <laughs> yes. Um. So we're at the end of our conversation where we like to ask all of our guests. We want to know what are your top five favorite books of all time? All time. Of all time. If wow. that is too hard for you to choose, like a child, then we uh, I'll give you the option of what are the top five books that you would like people to know about right now that you might have a friend that's wrote a poetry chat book that you're like this is amazing I need you to read it mm -hmm. is there anything you want the people to know uh let's see I, I I can I can tell you some books that I'm that I'm reading now right that I'm reading now or that are just out uh, um let's see uh Night of the Living Res by uh, Morgan uh, Talty uh, from Tin House Books, a book of short stories um, uh, set in a uh, indigenous community in Maine. Mm. Um, yeah, we're, we're actually doing an event uh, coming up soon. Uh, we've never met in person before, but uh, at the National Book Festival in mm. DC, um, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, uh, there's this book I'm reading called uh, Memoirs of a Porcupine by um oh let's see what you know i'm gonna i'm gonna have to let's see his name is uh, elaine uh, mabanku mabanku i think yeah so this is the, i don't know if you can see this is what it looks like oh. um yeah he's uh from congo um really really good strange beautiful book um oh there's a, a book called um uh, Song of the Closing Doors, a book of poems uh, by Patrick Phillips that just was published today. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he's a friend and um, uh, we shared the same publisher and they asked me if I'd be willing to write a few words. I was like, uh, send it like, you know, anything to read Patrick's books early. Um, so I wrote something for it, but absolutely just just beautiful book. Um, and what else? Hmm. Um, my, uh, friend, uh, Hasantaka Sirisena. Yeah. This book of essays called, uh, Dark Tourist. Um, um, which it's, it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, but, um, it's, it's very much about the, the ways in which, like, uh, how are we implicated when we are like, you know, seeing things that maybe we shouldn't be seeing. Mm. You know, it's 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 a really powerful book of essays. Uh, how many am I up to? Uh, Night of the Living Res, Patrick Phillips, Hasantika Sirsena, Memoirs of a Porcupine. Um, oh man, um, uh, the poet Tainum Bambrick has a book called uh, Intimacy Intimacies Received, 
which is going to be out soon. I didn't write anything for that, but um, I was able to read it, like uh, read it early. Um, and by the way, I'm sure y'all y'all know this this joy, right, of being able to read books, you know, yeah. before <laughs> every everyone else can. It's like, oh man, like this is, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's so good. Uh, so many books, so little yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she has this book uh, called Intimacy is Received, uh, which is set in Spain, um, and uh, it explores, um, yeah, it explores, um, you know what, I, 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 it, it's hard to, like with poetry books, like it's hard to say, oh, you know, it's the plot is this, 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 you know, um, but uh, it's very much about um, boundaries and, and gender and um um yeah and I'll just I'll just stop there but it's it's an absolutely absolutely gorgeous book well Thomas thank you so much this has been a wonderful conversation we hope we did we didn't hold you too long but I I knew that before we had you all come on had you come out to the show that that was like something I knew like we were going to have a lot of questions we wanted to <laughs> talk to you about because yes. your book is just simply amazing and, and we had a feeling like this conversation would be just as amazing and it was so thank you so much for for coming and sharing this space with us this evening thank you for you know reminding us about the people we love um not forgetting even though sometimes it's hard to love them we always have to be grateful and hopeful that you know we will all see each other at the end of the line and we'll all be okay your yeah. grandfather reminded me of my grandfather like it was it was really a joy to read your book um we often say the authors that come to our show come to our show at a time when we need to read their books mm -hmm. um, and it all perfectly lined up so we are very grateful um you know for any other stuff that you're working on you can always come back here. We can oh, always thank you. talk about it. We loved your work. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Y'all are going to make me do that Will Ferrell ugly, ugly cry. Uh, <laughs> we're all criers. We're not, <laughs> we're not ashamed of it. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I appreciate it so much. This is, this has been such a, you know, such a wonderful, one, wonderful conversation. I've uh, yeah, I've, I've done some, some, some press stuff for, for the book that's been like, Someone asks me a question and then the voice just disappears because they mute themselves mm -hmm. and then they record me giving my answer and then they come back on and ask me another question. And I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, is this a robot, you know, who's interviewing me? Like, what's happening? Like, you know, where's, where's the person, you know? And so, so this is like been the exact opposite of that. This is, yeah, this is, this has been an absolute joy. Uh, awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. And on that note, we bid you a well, um, adieu, and uh, we hope that you enjoy the rest of your uh, work-free but working uh, year time um, you. with your fellowship, and we hope you, you create some wonderful things throughout that process. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope you all have a good night. Thank good you. Night. You too. Good night. And if you see Beyonce in the streets. <laughs> i'll holler at her for you thank you <laughs> bye. bye good night good night we hope you enjoyed our show 
Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses. Our theme song that you're nodding your head along to was produced by Sean Cantruitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Dammit. That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon. Deuces. Deuces.